take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And if you didn't guess where we were, in the pattern of what's been happening over the last few weeks, but also take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5, because we're going to go to that passage toward the end of our time together today, and I want you to be ready when we go there, but just stick a finger or a bookmark or a bulletin or something in Romans chapter 5 as you turn to Genesis chapter 3. And as you do that, I want to explain a little bit about why we have chosen, because I've heard some questions about why we've chosen to do these four weeks in the way that we have chosen to do them, tying the sermon in with our Sunday school lessons. First of all, I want you to just understand that we believe that this portion of Scripture, these opening chapters of Genesis, are so foundational to the Christian faith and to the Scripture as a whole that we want you to see that you can never get too much of these chapters of Scripture. I hope that you've seen over the last couple of weeks and this week and the following week that what's taught in our Bible study groups on Sunday morning and what's preached from the pulpit on Sunday morning are so distinctly different, but yet dealing with the same passage, that there's so much that we could spend time in here looking at that we will never exhaust the text of God's Word. And so be encouraged in that. Another thing is simply the fact that we want you to see and know and understand that our Sunday morning Bible study groups are significant that they are an important part of the life of this church. And we want to encourage you to find one that fits your need and join in on one. We grow from Sunday morning Bible study to this time, on average, about 100 people. Let me encourage those of you who are not actively engaged in a Bible study group to find a group that fits your need because I promise you, we have one where you can fit in and you can hear the truths of God's Word taught in a more intimate way and you can build some relationships that you will not be able to build in a few minutes together like we sit today. Now to the Word of God. Stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. You will bru- he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden and placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way, guarding the way to the tree of life. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Many of you who have children and have seen them come of age or have seen them grow into their teenage years remember that time in their life when they were innocent, if you will, as innocent as we possibly can be, where they were not afraid to run around the house outside or anywhere else just naked as can be, enjoying the freedom that comes with that type of innocence. But then also on top of that, I bet each one of you remembers the day when that sweet little boy or that sweet precious little girl looked you in the eye and told you no in a tone and in a way that screamed complete and total defiance. They go from seeming innocence to complete defiance. How do we go from unashamed to ashamed? How do we go from life to death? 
we are experiencing even this week when we receive the call on Monday morning, the consequences of Genesis chapter 2. So this morning as we look at this text, we want to look first of all at the first few verses and look at how sin comes into the world. And then we want to open up into the consequences that that sin brings. And then at the end, we want to see the hope that God brings to Adam and to Eve. And because that he came, because that hope comes to them, it also comes to us. Let me ask you a question about the Bible that you hold. Do you believe this word? Do you believe what's written on these pages? Not, yeah, sure, Aaron, I believe the Bible. We all say that. But do you really, deep down in your heart, believe what's written in this book to be completely and totally true and trustworthy and applicable to your life today? Because you see, that's where sin begins in Scripture. It begins with doubt. Sin begins by Satan entering into the scene of God's perfect creation with his perfect people in his perfect garden, in the perfect relationship with him and each other, and asking a question. say you couldn't eat of anything? Dietrich Bonhoeffer rightly points out that the serpent and Eve are the first two theologians because they're the first people that we have in scripture to begin to have a discussion about who God is and what God says. And these theologians as many today are not led by the Spirit of God, but led by themselves. And they come away answering the question incorrectly. Because when he says, she she replies there in verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you you shall eat of the trees of the midst of the garden. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now that's correct, that they can't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge that's in the midst of the garden, but there's also the tree of life that's in the midst of the garden. She completely disregards that. There are other trees in the garden, because listen to what God said when he gave this to them. In chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice what she forgets. She forgets the bountiful blessing that God gives by providing everything that is needed for them to be sustained and live abundantly in a right relationship with God. She forgets to mention the fact that every other tree out there they can have, that everything that is in the garden is theirs to have, to rule over, to have dominion over, to subdue. 
the only thing they can't do is eat from one tree. But notice the question and the way it is phrased points her in a direction that she answers only looking at the negative. She begins to doubt the goodness and the accuracy of the word of God. If we don't believe Genesis chapter 3 is relevant to us today, just watch the news. Everything that is going on around us has to do with the fact that people don't trust the goodness and the accuracy of God's word. And it's not just in those who are lost and don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. It's also in those that claim to know him as Savior and Lord. We have denominations looking at absolutely separating completely major denominations worldwide denominations separating because on the left we have liberals who don't adhere to the truth of God's word and on the right we have uh, Bible-believing individuals who completely adhere to the truth of God's word and the two can't join together. They can't come together because they're so disjointed at this text, at this book. One believes it wholeheartedly. And one believes the parts and pieces that make them feel good and they want to use. And because of that, they're going to separate. We've seen this play itself out in almost every major Christian denomination that there is. And if you didn't know, North America is leading the front in liberalism. The North American churches are leading the way in moving away from the presence of God. Let me just ask you a question. If, if you really believe this word, as not as Eve clearly believed this word, but do you really believe this word as we are called to believe this word? When things begin to happen in your marriage, when it gets difficult, and we know that the word of God commands us to be faithful, that it calls us in Genesis chapter 2 to one man and one woman forever. How do we respond? If we really believe this book, are we going to fight with everything that we have to hold on to those marriages? Some will flee. Some will run away. Some will do nothing. Some will fight with everything they have and still that marriage will end. They've been faithful to the end and yet it still comes to to a conclusion that is divorce. But what will you do if you believe this word? Are you willing to fight for the relationship that God has placed you in? What about when an individual wrongs you? Do you believe the word of God? Are we called to seek forgiveness and then to forgive? Is that what we do? Or do we just really remain bitter and angry and upset and let that kind of fester up in us in a way that is unhealthy unhealthy and ungodly? Do we believe the word of God? Or when it comes to the things in our life, is it easier to say, I believe everything but that? 
that part doesn't apply to me. I can hold anger and bitterness in my heart, and it's okay. When it comes to lust, and this is not just a male issue, when it comes to to lust, and, and this is what happens, we see men looking at things like Victoria's Secrets catalog, not to purchase their wife lingerie so they can enjoy it for each other, but to enjoy the pictures that are there. On a side note, ladies, if you have that catalog come into your house, stop it. Especially if you have teenage sons. It's a problem and a temptation they don't need. Ladies, it's in the novels, it's in the movies that point you away from the goodness of the man that God has blessed you with. Do you really believe this word? That these things are sin, that these things are wrong, that we should flee from those things? You know, Eve didn't have the truth of God's word hidden into her heart. That's what Psalms 119 tells us. Hide, your wor- hide your wor- my word in your heart that you might not sin against me. She didn't hide the truth of God's word deep within her heart. And when temptation came, she failed miserably. What about you? Do you believe this word enough to hide it deep within our hearts so that when temptation comes, we don't fail miserably, but we can stand faithful on the word of God? You'll never hear me say that everything's going to work out rosy. But are we being faithful to stand on the word of God? Do we really believe what this word says? Because what Eve gives back to Satan in his question is not a faithful rendering of God's word. And it leads her to doubt. And as it leads her to doubt, Satan takes the opportunity. Now, instead of just questioning God's word, he's direct. You will not surely die. Isn't that the way sin comes into our lives? It looks beautiful. It looks like it's right. And then it it makes us question the goodness of God. And then it makes a statement against the goodness of God. And by that time, we've bought in hook, line, and sinker, and we believe. And so when she she then begins to look, so the woman in verse 6 saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 1 John talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It really seems to flow pretty well out of Eve desiring and looking and longing for wisdom that was not from God. It matches this text. Why is this text fundamental and foundational? Because it points forward with everything that we deal with today. Everything that we struggle with, every sin, every temptation comes here and we look and we understand why we struggle with it. And 1 John is just a reminder of that. And so as we see that sin comes into the world in verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened. Nobody had to tell them what was to come next. The eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. We begin to see immediate consequences for sin. 
and no hesitation in the consequences that sin brings into our lives. You might think that you are getting away with sin on a regular basis, but brothers and sisters, let me assure you, you are not. It's having an impact on you. It's having an impact on your family. It's having an impact on this body of Christ. And it's having an impact on the fact that in that sin, you will surely die. So we begin to see the consequences of sin. And the consequences of sin, number one, we see shame. Instant and immediate shame. Two individuals, husband and wife, married, loving one another in the perfect relationship to one another, in the perfect relationship to God. And all of a sudden, sin enters the picture and they look at each other and they understand that there is something wrong here. There is something different here. Immediately, something has changed. And they're ashamed. They're shamed in front of one another. Shame comes on, and even in the presence of one another, what God has called holy, what God has brought together, what God has ordained in His creation, they look at each other and say, oh my goodness, we've got to cover that up. That's still going on today because I'm thankfully that each one of us has on clothes this morning. Shame comes in. We need to hide ourselves. But it's not just shame. Because what happens next is we see that fear comes in. You see, God comes as God does to be with his people. And as he comes, they heard the sound of him. Now, can you imagine in this immaculate, perfect creation, in this perfect garden that God has sprung up, It's they heard the sound of him. God has come and his presence is immediate in the garden with them and they hear it and they know it. And it's the same thing that has been happening. It's just like every day before they had been naked together and unashamed and all of a sudden there was shame in their game. But now the sound of God enters into the garden and they know that he wants to come and walk with them in the cool of the day, in the breeze of the evening, as he always has been doing with them in this right and perfect relationship. But now they're afraid. They went from naked and unashamed to naked and ashamed from naked and not afraid to naked and afraid. Everything has changed. The consequences of sin are growing by the moment. And God calls out to his people, where are you? He calls out that I created and formed and breathed life into, where are you? And then Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I hid myself. Adam hides. 
lost himself in the presence of God. Shame comes in. Fear comes in. Broken relationships come in as a consequence of sin. Because the relationship that he had with Eve was destroyed, and now the relationship that he had with God is completely and totally changed. It's not just messed up. It's not just altered a little bit. It's not just a a small, insignificant change. They went from longing to be in the presence of God to running away and hiding from the presence of God and trying to cover themselves as they did with fig leaves. What a pitiful excuse for clothing. Who told you you were naked? God knows, and God brings it right back to the decision that Adam has made. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Absolutely not. God knows that. And he's taking Adam and he's laying it out and saying, Adam, the consequences, the things that have changed, the relationships that are broken, the shame and the fear that you're bringing on, all goes back to the act of disobedience that you did against me. The act of rebellion that you gave against me. The act of defiance that you did against me. It all goes back to that. Everything has changed because you defied, you disobeyed, you rebelled against me. Sin is a little bit soft when we really start to look at the consequences of what happened to the fall. We gloss over that word. Oh, it's just a little sin. Oh, it's a big sin. That's okay. It's sin. It's an infinite offense against an infinitely holy God. It's not the type of sin that's significant. It's who we sin against that is significant. When you sin against God, Adam and Eve have sinned against God. And notice what Adam said. He's ashamed, he's afraid. He's in relationships that are broken and falling apart around him. And he says, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Now, if you look back with me at chapter 2, verse 23, this is where God has put Adam to sleep. He's taken the rib and he has formed woman and he is presenting her to Adam for the very first time. And listen to his response. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you hear the excitement that's in his voice? Can you just imagine the perfect man in the perfect setting, in the perfect relationship with God, and all of a sudden God presents him with the perfect woman. Not a single flaw, not a single imperfection. The relationship that they have from the very beginning is one of intimacy and closeness that will never, that we will never experience this side of eternity. Every way. 
can hear the excitement in his voice. Man, I can understand this, can you? Because I remember falling in love with that perfect individual for me. And knowing how close she is and knowing how perfect she is for me and how we fit together and we work together and we serve together and we come together and we complement one another to serve God for His glory and for the purpose of His kingdom. I can't imagine what Adam felt like at this moment. And then he says, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not goes from that, from praising God and praising her, to God, you know that woman you gave me? Yeah, you, God, you get, remember, remember you gave her to me? She gave me this fruit and I ate. That's a drastic change. You think sin doesn't change things? I promise you it does. You think sin doesn't turn everything on its head and make everything different? You know it does. I don't have to tell you. You can see it around you. You can see it in your life. You can see it in the lives of friends and loved ones all the time. It changes everything. What Adam didn't know here is what we see in James chapter 2, verse 23. God doesn't cheat. God doesn't cheat. God gives us good and perfect gifts. The response he had at first, that was the proper response to Eve. This response about her and about God, number one, it's a very bold statement. I would caution you on ever making one like it. It's the result of sin and the damage and destruction that it brings into life. And then we just go to the blame-passing game, don't we? Adam blames it on the woman. Eve blames it on, or the woman at this point, blames it on the serpent. Notice God doesn't ask the serpent. No need. He knows the serpent. He understands. He really just wants Adam and Eve to begin to learn from the mistake, the sin that they have committed against him, the act of rebellion that they are in. He wants them to begin to see and understand it. So at this point, God begins as part of the consequences to deliver the curses. He first starts with the, with the serpent. Notice what's happened through this text. We start with the serpent, Eve, and then Adam. Adam is completely culpable for his own sin because he was with Eve. He failed in the very beginning to take the headship role that God had placed him in. He wasn't off lollygagging over here somewhere working in the fields and Eve came and found him. He was with her. So it goes the serpent, Eve, and Adam. When God comes in, he addresses Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And now, as he lays out the curses that he's going to lay out, he lays them down from the the serpent to Eve to the man. He curses the serpent. You'll go to your belly. You'll eat dust. And notice verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It opens up our eyes to the ongoing battle that is still taking place today. 
battle not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. Things we can't see, things we can't touch. This battle is still going on. This enmity is still there. We still have a disgust for the serpent. And it's an ongoing thing. And then he gets to the woman. And notice that some of the things that happen here are just dealing with the perfect creation that he has made. He made her in perfect creation to complement and to help and to come alongside of Adam and to to bear children. And what is she going to have to live with? She's going to have to live with pain and childbearing. Ladies, I'm sorry. You can talk to Eve about this. I hear it's awful. I've seen it a few times, and I believe it is. I will never diminish the pain of childbearing for you. Not only because I've seen it, but because God's word makes it clear. It's difficult. It's difficult. And then in verse 16, he says, And then the desire, your desire, shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Childbearing, you're going to have pain. You remember that perfect relationship you had with your husband? It's gone. It's twisted. Now your desire is going to be to rule over him, and his desire is going to be to rule over you. Because, ladies, unfortunately, when you look at this verse, that desire is the same one that's going to come out later when it talks about sin is desiring to snatch you and to have you. It's waiting at the door, and its desire is for you. The desire of each one of us, man and woman, is to twist and ultimately shift the relationship that God has made for our own benefit and our own good to the demise of the other. Because that doesn't just stop with her. Because notice, the end is not a curse, it is part of the curse, but it's going to be fulfilled by her husband. It's not that he's going to love you and nourish you and cherish you and take care of you. And because of that, you can willingly submit to his care and his love and his compassion for you. No, it's he's going to rule over you. He's going to rule and have dominion. He's going to be a tyrant over you. That's why marriage is dealt with throughout Scripture, calling us back to a Genesis 1, Genesis 2 picture of marriage. Husbands, love them, care for them, don't rule over them. Don't be a tyrant to them, care about them, compassionately wash them with the word of God. And as you do that, you will place yourself in a role where she will ultimately long to submit to you. Because you are being a godly husband to her. Because you are exemplifying what Christ has called you to be. These roles get twisted right here in Genesis chapter 3. They weren't before. They weren't messed up. God had designed them and had designed them perfectly. And then to Adam. Adam had been given the law. Adam had been given the law and he says now to Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife. You see the picture here? Adam, I told you what was right. 
Adam, I laid out exactly what I wanted you to do. You and I had conversation about what was right and what was wrong and what you could have and the one thing you couldn't have. When you listened to her instead of me, you rebelled against who you are. He doesn't say why. face are the consequences because listen to what he says cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life that illustration really works better in an agrarian society but let me let me just put it to you like this if you go out into the ground in your yard and you till up a section and you make it all nice and pristine and and pretty and you make it just as organic as it can be and the soil is perfect for growing do you want to know what's going to come up Thorns and thistles, weeds and things that are meant not to eat, to just, but to destroy the land and take away its nutrients. We experience this every day. Work has gone from a pleasure that brings honor and glory not only to us but to God to, a, to drudgery, to something we despise to do. We look for time off instead of longing to be effective in the work that God has called us to. Work is not the problem. Sin is the problem that makes work an issue. Work is a good thing, but now it's going to change. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Each one of us is going to face the same end unless the Lord does not carry on in our behalf. We were formed out of the dust of the ground, and to the dust of the ground we're going to die. Our souls will live eternally, but these bodies are going to go back to dust. Notice what he said there. He said, you are dust. Showing him desperation that he has for God. The need that he had to be formed and have life breathed into him, but yet he's taken it. Notice also we see the other consequence here. You're going to die. The body that you live in is not going to last forever, Adam. Death comes because of sin. Death is made clear because of sin. Death overwhelms each one of us because of sin. We experience the loss of loved ones because of sin. So do you want to tell me that sin's not a big deal? It is. Hugely. And then in verse 20 he says, The man called his wife Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. And because Adam and Eve were so inadequate to take care of themselves, because they were in desperate need of something outside of themselves to care for themselves. Remember, they had sewn fig leaves together to cover themselves up. In verse 21, we see the first slaughter. We see the first time that the blood of an animal would be poured out 
for the benefit of mankind. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Blood was poured out. Death came. This is the first time they realized the shame. They realized the fear. They realized the separation. They realized the destroyed relationship. They realized that everything was different, but they had not yet seen death. And that was the one thing God said was coming. Can you imagine the horror that Adam and Eve might have faced the first time they saw death take place? Because I don't care where you stand on anything, death is not a pretty sight. When something is slaughtered and its blood runs out of its veins and out of its body onto the ground, that's a gruesome thing. And it's a reminder to them of what is going to take place. It's a reminder for us of what's coming. But you know what? God did not leave them there. And I know in the end of this chapter, in verses 22, 23, and 24, we see and we look that God has kicked them out of the garden. And we think, how awful is that? Now they've got to go back to where, they were ta- where Adam was taken from. And they've got to work the land. They've got to toil. And they're going to have pain and childbirth. And all of these things are going to happen. And they're going to have enmity with Satan and his offspring and the serpent and his offspring. All of these things that are negative are taking place. But we've got to understand the goodness and the greatness of God. Because to allow them to live eternally in their decaying bodies would have been disastrous for us. It was a good and a just and a righteous God, a loving God and a caring God that put them out of the garden and protected them from themselves. Remember, I asked you to mark that passage in Romans chapter 5. Because I want you to see this. It's a good God that moves them out of the garden. It's a good God that promises life because when we see Adam, what we look at is not just him, but we see a prototype, a type of what is coming, except this one's not going to fail. So in Romans chapter 5, verse, beginning in verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, that's us. Adam sinned, we died. Thank you, Adam. Because all sinned, yes, you did. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now that's Christ. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if... Many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following trespass brought just, many trespasses brought justification. For if, for if, because of one man's trespass, Death reigned that the one man much more with, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass laid the condemnation for all men, 
So the one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the hope that God offered in kicking them out of the garden and showing them that he loved them enough to let them die the first death so they didn't have to die the second death by saying that Adam is a type of what is to come, that Christ will come, that he will reign, that his end will be victorious over sin, death, and everything else so that we no longer have to suffer the consequences of sin. We no longer will have to live in shame. We'll no longer have to live in fear. Fear will no longer have to deal with the broken relationships between us, men, and others, and God himself. We are extended hope through one man, just as we were extended death through one man. And that hope in Christ is greater than the first, and it will reign supreme for eternity. What about you? in Christ or we're living in condemnation in Adam Adam's sin is still relevant to every newborn that's born today but by the grace of God where that sin has abounded grace has abounded even more and the hope of Christ Jesus is even greater the hope and are you living in that or are you still experiencing sin and living in the condemnation that comes with it today as we have our invitation you have a time to make that decision you have a time where you can walk down front grab Zach by the hand or grab me by the hand and ask us about the hope that is only found in Christ Jesus I want to take you to the word of God Father, we come before you this morning.